Welcome to another episode of Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Galen O'Connor, and I'm the club president. The white zombie is legend. I remember when I was in middle school, my science teacher was trying to wrap our heads around the concept of electric drive. Of course, my brain couldn't wrap around the concept of anything back then. I think I honestly might have been a stunted child. But I remember sitting in this classroom and watching a VHS tape with a recorded copy of an interview with John and footage of the car on the strip. I don't remember anything else from that class, to be honest, but I remember the name White Zombie. And I remember it because I saw what it could do. All it was was a simple piece of footage showing the white zombie on the drag track and tossing out some major burnt rubber. But that's what cemented the name in my head. I remembered that, and I wanted firstly to say thank you for it, for being the pioneer, for taking the land speed record, for fighting for the future of electric mobility to my guest today, John Whalens. However, the name did fade for a good while of my life. Through the rest of my middle school, through high school, getting my Eagle Scout, graduating from Army, BASIC, and AIT, flunking out of one, two, three, four different colleges, getting stuck where it all began for me, back on Whidbey Island, and winding up working at the shittiest little gas station in the world. I was fading. I was wondering where my life direction was going. I'd lost my access to the world by moving back to the island. I didn't have my open mic comedy sets to workshop my jokes. I didn't have any film sets around me to go bug the directors about their lighting schemes. I had no true avenue or direction until my friend told me that he was moving to Oklahoma and getting rid of his 1984 Firebird Trans Am. And he asked me if I wanted it for free. He told me that the engine was shot to shit and it probably wouldn't work without a major overhaul, but it was a Firebird and it was free. I had the idea to convert it to electric and it changed my life. That was only a little over a year ago now. Obviously, I'm nowhere near finished with it, but every facet of everything I've ever learned in my life has come into play with this project. Finally, I remembered the white zombie, and that image of it going down the drag strip came back to me as I was down underneath the engine bay, unbolting the catalytic converter from the manifold. So I went back on the internet, and I found the old footage of the white zombie going down the drag strip. That thing is a thing of such perfection, such beauty, such grace. A land speed record holder that absolutely kills the competition. Johnny Smith from Carb Pervert said on an episode of Fully Charged that the white zombie was an inspiration for his flux capacitor. Insert the name here of another human being whose life was changed because of the white zombie. And that list will be long. For the Tesla bros listening, the white zombie took away J.B. Straubel's land speed record. And that is truly an accomplishment, right? Because JB then went on to help create Tesla. 
Little did you know the Pacific Northwest used to hold the gold in the name of Mantle of EV. We were the revolution long before there was ever such a thing as the EV1 or the California movement. We had the mantle, and we can bring it back again. Well, the hairdo, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I did I it myself. Hair, it, uh, you know, it's mostly, you know, old man stuff now. <laughs> so I'm going to start into the episode now? Sure. Okay. My guest this week is John Whalens, also known as Plasma Boy. His racing team is therefore called Plasma Boy Racing. He is a member of the Northwest Datsun Owners Association and is a drag strip racer. But what sets him apart from the rest of the Datsun owners is that Plasma Boy's Datsuns are electric. Sure, just by looking at his 1972 Datsun 1200 Coupe, you think it was any regular old Datsun just for the touch of paint that makes it look all nice and shiny. It's electric. Ditto the white one. By the white one, I mean the little white Datsun. What I'm referring to, of course, is probably the most famous electric vehicle in racing history. A 72 Datsun 1200 that's been converted to fully electric. The white zombie has been on the drag strip as an EV since 1994. 1994. This car as an EV is only, and I hate to say this, but it's only two years younger than I am. (laughs) (laughs) As anyone who saw that episode of The Fastest Car on Netflix, they'll know that the white zombie died. It spun out of control, veering to the left, and hitting Abelabara's Mazda RX-2 right in the keister. The way that the Netflix show made it look, it was a disaster for both cars, and certainly the Mazda would never drive again, and who knows what would happen to the white zombie going back into the dustbins of history. Some people might say that the culprit was something wrong with electric vehicles. They've certainly not had another one on that show. Some people might say that John is just (laughs) old. Guess what? He's still 30 years younger than my dad who was born in 1946, so shut the f*** up. But, I mean, you are old, though. <laughs> once, you, once you've had to get your prostate checked regularly, you're old. <laughs> well, I'm happy to report that both cars are fully operational again. The white zombie, once killed off for good as a gas car, come back to life as an EV, it got wrecked on the airfield down in California, is now, thanks to Bloodshed Motors, back in fighting shape. What did it take to get all that going? My turn. Hey, uh, by the way, I got a lot younger in your description of me, so that's good, you know. (laughs) I'm pretty pretty close to your dad. But I'm 20 on the inside, and that's what counts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So what was the question again? I kind of got lost there. (laughs) What did it take to get the white zombie back up and running? Oh, oh my goodness. It, it took a lot. It was, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of my friends, you know, we collect these Dotsons these days, and a lot of people are collecting them. And we remember when we were younger guys, we'd go to the Dotson dealer and get our parts, no problem. 
but the cars are old, you know, the, the car is like 40 some odd years old now and parts are like unobtainium. And when you find them, they have a very, very high price. So finding the parts was the biggest challenge. But before that, I had to overcome the disaster. I, I'm a pretty positive guy. But after that happened on the show, I was like, okay, the car's done. It's, we finally have killed the zombie, you know. It's been shot in the brain. It, it's done. And um, I called my girlfriend and told her what had happened. And I was moaning and, you know, feeling sorry for him. And she said, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> and then I called up my buddy Mitch at Bloodshed Motors. He said the exact same thing. Suck it up, buttercup. Bring the car over here. We'll bring it back. And I, you don't know. It's pretty bad. But so, but parts acquisition was really tough. Um, and that took, oh, at least a half a year of really hard scrounging and looking. I do have to tell you the bumper story. You got time for the bumper story? Absolutely. The bumper story is probably the best one. So the bumper was launched and it used to be perfect. I thought, okay, you know, and I love my Datsun 1200s, but they're not like Sherman tanks. They're a lightweight, small, what used to be called a throwaway economy car. So the bumpers, you know, you pick them up, they weigh 20, 25 pounds. They're not massive steel. So, you know, what's, what's that worth? <laughs> 150, 200 bucks, you know? Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I can tell you for absolute certainty in the entire universe, there are two brand new Datsun 1200 front bumpers available. In Mexico, Canada, U.S., you name it. I've looked. What? One of them's been on eBay for $1,500 for years. They're asking a lot and it's not selling, but I wasn't going to pay $1,500 for a damn bumper. I found another one in Canada for a thousand, but they wanted almost five hundred dollars to ship it down here. I thought I've got I've got to find a bumper somewhere. I was really upset that I'd ruined the perfect bumper. So I placed all of these search calls and I searched Canada, I searched Mexico, I searched all the wrecking yards in the US, and about two weeks later, I got a response. And uh, showed up but showed they have a little three-digit code if you're buying like a hood or a motor or whatever you want for a car. And I don't know what they all mean. There's a series of numbers and letters and they had three zeros, which means it's perfect. I'm like, yeah, okay, right. And, and, that, <laughs> and then I looked at the price, $47.10. What? Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, nah, it's, it's a typo. It's, you know, $1,470. So I called the guy and, uh, I can't do a good Southern accent, but he, you know, basically, Jimmy Bob's wrecking yard. I'm calling about your Datsun 1200. Bumper. We ain't got none. I said, no, you because you sent an email. And I read it to him. He goes, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. Well, it must be in the shed. Shed? He'll get you up and see the import parts are. I said, well, could, could you look at it and see what it looks like? Maybe send me some pictures. I'll get back to you. So about a week goes by and I get an email back and I've got these pictures. Uh, you, were, you were saying that the Datsun was in the shed and then I got a lot of like static for a second. Oh, so. Well, I'm going to try to shorten it down, but I, can you hear me now? Is it going okay now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so I, I, I called him back after 
I saw the pictures of it and it just looked perfect. I thought, well, this is just too good to be true because, you know, they don't exist. So I said, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about the prize. He goes, now listen, son, don't you be lowballing me. So yeah. well, I just want to find you. And, and he kept, he goes, no, it's $47.10, not $47. So I paid him as fast as I could and he shipped the bumper to Mitch and Mitch calls me from te Austin, Texas. He goes, where in the hell did you find such a perfect bumper? So yeah, that's the bumper story. So I got the bumper for $47.10. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, and then I had, to act, I had to find a fender for the left side. Uh, it was mangled. And um, I, found, I found it in Sacramento. Blah, blah, blah. So, so to answer your question, parts acquisition was the hardest. And um, then there was the waiting time because Mitch is pretty busy down at Bloodshed working on customers' cars. And he told me, so this is going to take a while, but, you know, we'll get together, you know, next year. And, of course, the, the wreck happened in the fall of 2017. But in the summer of uh, 2018, we hightailed it down to Austin, Texas. And uh, about a month and a half later, the car emerged. And uh, we brought it back. And many, many thanks to my good friend, Mitch Medford, at Bloodshed Motors. It was a lot of work. And uh, also my good friend, Marco Mangillo, my I call him my EV sidekick. He went with me on the project. So, yeah, a cool. lot He's of work. And, and then after I got it home, still a lot of work to get it all detailed. So, Marco uh, Mangillo, he's the one with the sun hat in the Netflix show? No, he's not in the show. Uh, that was my friend, uh, Joe Buford. Okay. Now, Marco's, Marco's, Marco's the, the guy that lives here in the, in the Portland metro area with me, and he's got the electric Fiat that he calls Fiat. Fiat? Yeah. Yeah, the last time I rode it, it's the 1959 Fiat 500, DC mm. drive, but with a very powerful controller. And when we hit 90 on the freeway, I was begging him to slow down. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fiat 500 is the kind of car that clowns pop out of. I like Fiats. I like the old oh, I Fiats. I don't, I, I don't like the modern Fiat so much, but that's just me. Yeah, well, you know, they're trying. The modern Fiat 500 looks kind of like a smart car to me, and I don't like the smart car. You, know, you mean the smart I car that's not so smart? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me ask you, what's so smart about a very uh, – first of all, I love small cars, so don't I'm not putting down small cars, but what's so smart about a little tiny car, a little tiny car with an anemic engine – that gets 20 miles to gallon less than a Toyota Corolla. There's no, I absolutely do not have an argument. The smart electric yeah. though, that's a smart car, but I absolutely yeah. do not have an argument for the smart car except for your parking real estate. That's the only um, argument that I have for it. Speaking of smart cars, I got to touch on this. I, I'm one of my pet peeves is when people ruin good names on cars like GM. So mm. they, they came up with a car that they imported from uh, Korea and they knew when they started bringing it in that it was going to be an EV, but it was mm. a gas car for the couple of years and they named it the spark. Mm. So why would you waste such a great name on a gasoline car? And to right. make it worse, when they finally add, offered it as an EV, they had to add EV. Now it says spark EV, which is even dumber sounding. Anyhow, yeah. my pet peeve. They should have never called a gas car a spark. 
yeah when i when i saw that name recently i was like oh this is obviously an electric vehicle and i'm like oh no yeah it's just exactly, the, like, exactly. yeah the white zombie is back and fully operational and abel abara was also able to raise 1250 through gofundme and he did all of the repairs necessary and now his mazda is back in fighting shape the question that everyone wants to know now is when are we going to see the rematch between the two cars? Well, I think you're going to have to wait a while for that. Uh, after the rebuild of my car and realizing how rare parts are and how much I still love these cars, I decided to kind of change the venue here a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to be going back on the track very soon with it. I am enjoying driving it as a, you know, going to the store to get the, the milk you know go, go to the store to get the eggs and the and the butter and whatever an everyday driver i take it to lots of shows uh, but you know getting too hard to get the parts for the cars if you damage it on the track so i, I think in, um we're going to be more of a, a street car and you know, show it show it at different shows and just enjoy the car now okay i hate to okay. disappoint but but i'm i'm glad to hear that the mazda is back and running mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, you can find footage of it on YouTube. But at the end of that episode, and I could, I could see him getting angry at you. It was like he's, he's saying that he's never going to fix the car ever again. And then through GoFundMe, he raises the money, or well, up to 5000 short of the money to fix it. And it's, it, it looks beautiful now. I, I don't think it has the original factory paint anymore, but it, it looks fine. <laughs> you know, you no, know, I've never watched the show. Oh, you never watched that show? Nope. That's the that's the only episode of that show that I've seen. To be honest, <laughs> you said in that episode, and I agree with this sentiment. To be honest, that there might not be such a thing as Tesla if it wasn't for what you guys were doing in the original days of the NADRA and the White Zombie, especially. There was a there was a guy named J.B. Straubel. Straubel? Is that how you pronounce it? J.B. Straubel is a friend of mine. Yeah, and he had the Porsche 944, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the CTO over at Tesla right now, the chief technology officer. And back in the day, he held the land speed record, and you took it from him with the white zombie. Did you know... At that time, what was on the horizon? Were you guys all expecting that there would be a company like Tesla that would come in and take this mantle? Yes, I actually I was keenly aware of that. On another television show I did back in the 90s, at the end of the show, I said, it's coming someday we're going to have fast, comfortable cars that'll seat a whole family that'll be quick and powerful and have two, three, even 400 miles range. I predicted it. And yes, I knew it was coming. Speaking of the Tesla thing, I stand by what I said on that. In the early days of Nedra, when we were putting on our, our drag races, especially here in Portland, we had a series of races called the Wayland Invitational. It was kind of a fun, poking fun at myself on that one. But uh, I was actually had a, a conversation via email with Elon Musk because they were, they were only making the roadster at that time. Was, I think it was 2008, 
2007, something like that. And they were coming out with a sport model, which has had higher performance. And he rushed to get a customer's car done in time to come to our races. So yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, they were watching what we were doing and, yeah, I mean, Tesla couldn't come out with slow cars because we were showing people that electric cars didn't have to be slow, dull, and boring. So I, I, I very much feel that we influenced that whole thing. You know, they took the, the baton they ran with. They did a great job. You know, I call Tesla's little slow cars, though. <laughs> Compared to I'm, yours? I'm, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, now we're going to play a game that we're calling Racing Stripes. Since okay. you are a world record holder in a racing car, I thought I might ask you about some unusual sports played around the world. The object of this game is to tell me if this sport is real or if it's something that I just made up. If you, you say, have to, You have to know that, that I, I'm the furthest thing from a jock. <laughs> Trust me. Okay. You don't, you don't have to be a jock to know these. Here's, here's the deal before we get into that. When I was a kid in school and they used to line you up in PE and everybody would pick who they wanted on their team, I was always the last one standing. Oh. Well, that's okay. They yes. all wanted to hang out with me when we had a math test. Mm. Yeah. It all worked. Yeah. I was, I was neither the best math student nor picked first on any team so yeah <laughs> all right let's but, go with this okay. you already got me nervous though if if it's real you say that's real if it's not then you say you made that up are you ready to play yeah a ostrich racing oh that's real that is real if you thought this game was just like greyhound racing where you watch ostriches run around in circles You'd be wrong. Ostriches can reach a top speed of 43 miles an hour. They can stride a length of 16 feet in a single step. Naturally, therefore, it is nothing better than sitting on the back of an ostrich as they run around the track like a horse jockey claiming the cup. This sport is not wow. PETA-friendly, of course, but if you haven't seen one YouTube clip of ostrich racing, your head's in the sand. Chess boxing. Chess boxing. I say no. It is real. It is exactly what it sounds like. Because nothing says Rookside Castle like punching somebody else in the face. They play one round of chess, and then they do a round of boxing, and then they go back to the chess. It's, it's, it's interesting. Wow. wow. C. Okay. Cheese rolling. Cheese rolling. I would think that would be a yes. That is real. You get a big block of cheese and you roll it down a hill and you try to catch it before anyone else. Wow. D, elephant polo. I got to say no on that one. That one is real. It's polo, but you ride elephants instead of horses and you have longer sticks. E, zorbing, spelled Z-O-R-B-I-N-G. Well, I'll have to say yes because I like the name. It is real. It's a game that involves large plastic see-through balls, basically like human hamster balls, 
that you climb inside of and roll down a hill and you race your opponent who is also in a ball. There's also water zorbing, which is just the same thing, but on water. Wow. Now, have you done this? I have not. I've not done any of these. Right. It, sounds, it's, it sounds like a terribly uncoordinated time. F, extreme sitting. Sitting? Yeah. S-I-T-T-I-N-G? S-I-T-T-I-N-G. <sighs> Practiced by monks? It is real. Let me set the stage for you. Okay. You've got this guy called Phil, let's call him. And all of Phil's friends are skateboarders. And they all have these really cool tricks they can do on skateboards. But Phil never learned how to skateboard. He never learned. He doesn't even own a skateboard. But what does he own? That's right, a plastic bar stool. And he takes that plastic bar stool and he makes it his own. Phil starts doing tricks on the bar stool and other people notice. Pretty soon he's the Tyler Durden of bar stools. Everyone wants a piece. They want a shot. They want a shot at fame. Thus concludes the fictional tale of how extreme sitting, also known as sport hawking, was created. John Wayland, you've won the game, Racing Strikes. Thank you for playing. How do you feel? Well, I, I'm so proud of myself. I really am. You know, I did something good in sports. <laughs> <laughs> the name is Zombie, but there are other zombies out there, such as the Zombie 222. What makes a zombie a zombie? We heard about this race that was happening in Phoenix, Arizona, that was part of, a, of an environmental thing. And, you know, we had the, the visions of granola crunchers and their little, you know, hacked together electric cars squeezing around a track. So we decided to crash the party and go down with some really powerful electric cars. And I had, uh, there was a guy from Washington State that I'd heard about. And he, he was kind of a long-haired, ponytail, hippie dude out of the woods. And he had a, a crazy Mazda. So we used to be mortal enemies as it worked out. Because I heard about this guy with a fast electric car in Washington. And I thought, well, I can outdo him. I'll, I'll build a, a fast car, too. Because we were both planning on going down and crashing the party in, in Arizona. So I was building up the car that would become White Zombie. And I heard about this crazy Mazda that this guy that did wheel stands and had 200 plus horsepower. And I thought, oh yeah, right, you know. So the first time we got together was here in Portland when we had what I believe is the world's first all electric drag race. And it, the Electric Vehicle Association down here put on this race to show people how fast electric cars were, which was really a joke because electric cars weren't fast. They were all running on 48 volts, maybe 72. And we would, you know, I had this vision of them all wheezing down the road and people laughing at us. So I built the car that would become White Zombie. And I powered it with um, six helicopter nickel cadmium batteries. And I had no speed controller. I simply had a diesel truck starting solenoid that was a thousand amp rated, but not high voltage rated. And I would literally just click it on binary controlled and burn rubber in all five gears. And then it eventually welded and almost killed me. But anyhow, I met Roderick, the guy that I wanted to hate. He didn't want to like me. And he came down. He got here late. So he was all upset that he was late for the race. I was awarded first and second place in the race. And then he unloaded the Mazda off the trailer and did a wheel stand for about 300 feet in it. And I went, I'm, uh, really glad I was, I'm really glad he was late. After uh, that, 
we became good friends. And he is the guy that I co-founded the National Electric Drag Racing Association. So we're best friends now. But back then, we weren't. So anyhow, we went down to, uh, to Arizona to this race. And I was on a budget. And I didn't know how to get the car down there. And some friends of mine said, well, we've got a couple guys that have a big Chevy Suburban. And, you know, they've, they've got a trailer. And I told them about what's going on. And they said they could help you out. I said, who are these guys? I said, well, I really don't know their names. They're just known as the animals. What? Because, no, I'm not kidding you. They're the animals. I go, really? He says, you need to meet them. So we arranged it. And they pulled up in front of my house in this sinister, big, black Chevy Suburban. And they just had just rock music pounding really, really hard. I'm into car audio anyhow. But it was like, you know, shaking my stomach. And they piled out. They were shirtless. One guy had uh, like a Viking hat with horns on it. And they had tattoos. And they just looked like the kind of guy you would never want to run into on a dark alley some night. So anyhow, we hooked up with the animals. We made it down to, to Arizona down there. And as we pulled in, we saw all these little slow electric cars. And, and we, we come pulling in with white zombie music pounding at extreme volume in this big black suburban. And the animals pile out and everybody's looking at us like, why are you guys here? You, you, you don't belong here. This is an electric party. So we, I started working on the car, and uh, we're getting ready for the race, and we had a failure mode. I got zapped with the full voltage of the pack. Uh, all kinds of crazy things were happening. But we were able to bring it back from the dead again, and I'm looking at my car, and I'm hearing the white zombie music playing in the background, and I'm looking at my car. Well, it's white, and it's been dead and revived so many times in its life. It's, it's a white zombie. So I decided to borrow the name and call my car White Zombie. Some might say I stole it. I, I don't think I stole it. I mean, nobody owns the word white. Must admit, I had White Zombie music in my brain. So many, many years later, as my car got pretty famous, it was on TV, a lot of shows called White Zombie. My wife was getting very concerned about maybe a lawsuit for using the rock band's name. And I thought, you know, Rob Zombie's a cool guy. I mean, he probably would think the car is cool. So, but you know, I kind of was a little worried about it, but I wasn't making any money on it. Yeah, you know, I just called my car White Zombie. So I saw an interview with Rob Zombie about a year later, and they were asking him, Well, how'd you come up with the name White Zombie? And he says, We stole it. <laughs> so I figured I was in the clear at that point. I, th he got it from the movie called uh, The White Zombie. And I'll show you. I've got the... Can you see this? Yeah. Oh. Well, that's where they got uh, the Maggie Bellamy. Yep. Is that how you say that? Madge uh, Bellamy. Uh, oh. Yeah. Madge Bellamy. I get Bellamy, I guess. So, hey, well, that's the story on the car. Why it's called The White Zombie. Good artists copy, great artists steal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one more thing about that drag race. So we were down there, and again, I have to be honest. Back then, everybody thought my car was really fast, and I guess it was for an electric car of the period. You know, we had cars that were doing the quarter mile in like a minute, you know, and, and with the exception of Roderick's crazy Mazda, which was turning, I think, 15 seconds quarter miles back then it went on to turn 11s uh yeah my car was running like a 17 second quarter mile but everybody thought it was really quick for an electric car so 
I knew it wasn't as quick as it should be because I kind of grew up with muscle cars. So I did what I think was the world's first electric line lock burn-off. So I pulled really? up, to, we had quite a crowd down at the drag strip and I had one sponsor, one, and it was Kilobat Contactors. And I had this contactor called a Bubba. And again, I had binary control. I, I didn't have a motor control. I was just turning the damn thing on and going down the track. So I, I set the line lock and I smoked the tires for, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds. And I covered the crowd in smoke. And um, so the, you know who Alan Kakoni is, right? Uh, possibly. Remind me. He's the and father the of the EV1. And, and he also was involved in the early days of Tesla. He's pretty much the AC motor guy. Very famous guy. Very guy much smarter than me. Much smarter right. than me. He's done a uh, AC propulsion. Correct, correct, correct. So yeah. Alan was Alan was there at the races, right? <clears throat> so I did this big line lock burn off. My sponsor was going crazy because they thought the contactor had welded shut, and they were panicking that I was making their product look bad. And I was just showing off to the crowd, lighting up the tires and having some fun. So the next day after the races, we're driving through the desert, and we go past funky looking little white Civic with, of all things, leaves painted on it with a little trailer and I thought, oh my God, that's Alan Kukoni. I always wanted to meet him. So we turned around and we went back and there he was. And uh, we pulled out and said, hello. And I, and I stuck my hand out and I said, I'm sorry. He says, but you're Alan Kukoni, aren't you? And he shakes my hand. You're John Whalen, aren't you? I go, you know who I am? Because <laughs> he was famous. I wasn't. He goes, yeah. He says, I, I watched what you did last night with your car. I said, oh, you mean my, my little antics with the, with the smoke in the tires? He goes, yeah. And he's laughing. You're going to love this. I'm not making this up. No, this is typical engineer speak. So I said, well, what'd you think of it? And he kind of cocked his head like a, like a peacock. And he kind of looked around. And he goes, I thought it was an irrational amount of time for a tire ignition sequence. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's great. That's an engineer's description of lighting the tires up at the drag strip. An irrational amount of time for a tire ignition sequence. I couldn't make this stuff up. So that was my I, first time I met Alan Kikoni. I know a couple of engineers like that. Oh, yeah. Engineer, engineers should be kept in a square box with a slot for food and ideas to come out and never be allowed to relate to the public. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm the only person in the club who isn't an engineer. <laughs> All the engineers are going to hate me for that. No, I'm just joking. I have a lot of good engineer friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, get a hold of yourself. Okay. Our racing team is just getting back off the ground. What we died out in 2016 and we were never really uh the greatest racing team. All we, all we've ever done so far is the two Electrothon America vehicles. Now we have a 1990 Volvo 240 DL that we're going to be converting to electric and hopefully entering into the NADRA among other circuits, hopefully taking it up Pikes and uh, down to Bonneville. What advice do you have for us just getting back up off the ground? Well, I have to ask you first, uh, I guess you have to secure a budget, you know, so you can get 
what you need. Of course, that's a pretty obvious thing. But as far as the advice on building it, just don't let people tell you you can't do it. You know, just, you know, it, you can listen to people when they have a good argument, you know, and you can learn from things. But don't let people tell you you can't do something unless they give you real sound reasons why you can't. I can't tell you how many, here we go again, how many engineers told me my car would never go quicker than 14 seconds in the quarter mile. They had done the math. They had calculated it. And of course, you know, I've run almost into the nines with the car, 10 too, I think. So, you know, you got to be careful. Uh, but on the other hand, engineers can be quite helpful when you're, you're looking for some good solid answer. And again, I'm, I'm kidding about engineers, you know, we're all, we're all in the same thing. But the advice would be just, if you, if you have a belief in what you're doing, just, just keep at it. You know, don't let people drag you down. Don't listen to the negativity. But again, don't reject things when it comes to safety. When someone says, well, you know, you could get hurt. You know, you have to know what to listen to and what not to. But you, there's a lot of naysayers out there that don't want to see you succeed with, with something that you're trying to do that's different. Safety as an example of the roll cage, right? Do you have a roll cage in the zombie? I have what's called a six-point roll bar. There's a difference. Most people call it a cage because it looks like one. It's, it's welded into the car, but it's, it's called a six-point roll bar, not a roll cage. If I went into the nine-second realm with my car, which the car is fully capable of, I would be forced to put what's called a full roll cage in it. So the answer is no, it's not a cage, but it's a six-point roll bar. I was having this conversation with the secretary of my club. Is having having a vehicle with a roll cage in it or a roll bar is it a good idea just to have it because in the anticipation of having to need the roll cage or the roll bar you're going to anticipate that things are going to get damaged is it good to just have a donor vehicle standing by with all the spare parts in it Absolutely. If you, you know, again, in my case, I, you know, they don't exist anymore, but yes, it is a very good idea. You bet. The, the vehicle that we have was donated to our club. So that is something that I've been thinking about because we didn't spend a dime on the vehicle itself since we're an educational institution. That is a, that is a, a concern of mine budgetarily. Uh, yeah. Indeed. I noticed in the zombie, there's a motor called the Siamese 9. Yeah, I coined, I coined that phrase. Okay, okay. I was going to ask. I've seen the Impulse 9, the Warp 9, the Hyper 9, the AC 9-inch. But what is the Siamese 9? Why haven't I seen it floating around? Well, actually, uh, when I first developed that, I did it with a friend of mine. His name is Jim Husted, And he was a forklift motor repairman knew nothing about high performance electric cars whatsoever but he knew a lot about the motors and he was he was a craftsman and i at the time was working on electric forklifts for a living and you know he hooked up with me on the car and we put what he knew about motors and what i knew about motors and we you know we were running two motors in the car two eight inch motors and they didn't fit in the car well they you know it's a very small car so they had to have an, an, an angle where the end bell of the leading motor in the front of the car was up on the frame rail of the car, and then it would kind of dive down towards the transmission housing. And it, it was the wrong geometry. We get in driveline vibration. And we decided we could morph the two motors into one motor and probably save seven inches of length and also hot rod the motors and make them more powerful at the same time. So the reason it's called a Siamese motor it's not two motors end to end, like output shaft 
into the back of another motor than the output shaft, they're actually turned around 180 degrees out of phase. So that instead of, uh, if you're looking at the motor from the front of the car, you know, brushes, armature, output shaft, and then brushes, armature, output shaft, as it would be with two motors, the Siamese motor is brushes, armature, armature, brushes. So they are pointing head to head and they're conjoined at the head by a common shaft that's about, I don't know, 38 inches long, something like that on my website. We had a custom uh, stainless steel shaft made and we pressed the armatures together. So I called it a dual armature motor nest. It's one motor that used to be two, but they're joined at the head, hence Siamese. And of course, the original one was a Siamese 8, then it became a Siamese 9. And of course, I'm good at naming things. Like I said, I, I named the Maniac Mazda. I name a lot of things. And I named it the Siamese motor. And there are companies today that sell conjoined motors, but they're not joined the way mine are. And they call them a Siamese motor. I don't know what the heck, you know, let them have fun with it. But a true Siamese motor, they're joined head to head. You mentioned just now that you're good at naming things. Uh, we had a naming contest for our Volvo. We had it out in the courtyard with a, with a little sign on it and a QR code. And people walked up to it. They took a picture. They went to the website and they submitted a name. We still haven't decided yet. Don't tell me what it is. I've got a name for you. Okay. Boltvo. Boltvo. Oh my god. Isn't that kind of obvious? Yeah. Yeah. Boltvo. <laughs> My favorite was I mean, Welly's Little know, Rice. Just like the, there's a fellow in, in Washington that's doing an electric Corvette, and he was stumbling around the name, and it took me about five seconds. I called Corvolt. You know, pretty easy. <laughs> you were in the NEDRA, right? Well, of course. Or, I, still, I still am. You're one of the co-founders of the NEDRA, you said? Yeah, Roderick Wilde and myself came up with the idea when we were down the, the aforementioned race in Phoenix, where um, I did the burnoff and Roderick's Mazda cleaned the clock of the sunny side up land speed record holding uh, GM Impact, which is the prototype of the, of the EV1. And, uh, you know, the, the boys from GM, they were all a bunch of <clears throat> engineers. And they were just shocked that a long haired hippie dude in, in, from the woods of Washington could clean their clock. So Roderick and I were having beer and pizza together. We were laughing. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, when we'd go out and race our cars at our local drag strips, both he and I were having lots of trouble getting the track to even let us run our electric cars. They thought they were dangerous. I mean, here you got gas cars that can, you know, catch on fire and burn somebody to death, but they think an electric car is too dangerous. And uh, we were having trouble getting, you know, accepted. So we, we were laughing and, again, having a few beers. And we were just laughing and said, well, maybe, why don't we form our own racing organization? And we still don't remember which one of us came up with it. I think it probably was me. But we said, hey, why don't we, you know, it's just you and I, Roderick. Why don't we call ourselves the National Electric Drag Racing Association? And we started laughing our, our tails off on that one. But that's where it came up. And then it did indeed become national, right? It, it did. It actually has become international. Yeah. So how many countries is the NEDRA in now? You know, I'm not sure. I've been kind of out of touch with the whole organization. You know, I've uh, let others take the torch and run with it. So 
you, you best be talking with the current president, John Metric, about that. Because here's the thing. The, the, the question that has been going through my mind, and I, I will ask John, but I have, I wonder if you have any inputs on this. I wonder why the website still looks like it was built on Windows 92. I mean, has ever anyone ever suggested that they should get a website makeover? Because here's the thing. If you don't have a good website, you won't get the young bloods. It's that simple. I'm not talking about the cars because you'll still get the guys who like the cars because they'll come through you back channels just like this, but you won't get the fans. And well, you know, again, I think that is best addressed by the current uh, administration. You know, you should ask them that question, but I will, I will take a little uh, stab at that because my own website is very primitive and very old school. And I've had lots of people offer to make it more modern, but I, I am intentionally keeping it old school because I think it fits the flavor of what I do. I, I like to take retro and add it to modern and kind of mix it together. And uh, I get comments both ways. Oh, your website's old. It's out of date. I have others say, man, I love the fact that it's old school and simple. Well, you know, it kind of goes both ways, but I get your point about attracting the younger people on a new website, but best addressed to them, not me. Okay. I guess, I guess my main point of contention is that it's not mobilized. I don't mind the, I don't mind the layout on a desktop, but I want to be able to, to look at it from an iPhone. That's, that's just my biggest point of contention. You know, I'm, a, I'm a fellow iPhone user, so I, I hear you. How do you avoid overheating with your motors? I don't. <laughs> How do you like that for an answer? Uh, that's that's uh, very direct and straightforward and not at all insightful. Well, let, let, me, let me explain that. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I got an email from you, and I take it you're going to be using a, 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 a Nissan um, electric motor out of a Leaf, correct? Yeah, I'm possibly going to be dropping that into one of my own personal vehicles. We still haven't made a CAD mock-up or an, uh, uh, a blueprint of the engine base, so... We want to figure out that our motor will actually fit the engine bay before we drop it in. Yeah, you're going to have but, to start calling it a motor bay now. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. It's still an engine bay because there's still an engine in there. So well, let me I, add, the reason I was asking that is if you go AC drive, your cooling is not an issue whatsoever because pretty much all of the AC motors are liquid cooled. It's really easy to do. But when you're running DC motors like I do in the Zombie, they're primitive, but they're very, very powerful when you slam them with lots of power. You can, you can abuse GC motors and get extreme amounts of power. Is it efficient? No. Is it super reliable? No. Do they get hot? Yes. But do they kick ass? Absolutely. So when it comes to the cooling, uh, I did use forced air cooling in the zombie in, when we raced and we learned from mistakes because I ran it without any cooling fans at all. I was thinking, hey, we're just going down the quarter mile. It can't get hot that fast. But I was literally melting armatures. So the, the heat is definitely an issue with the DC motors that you have to do things to contain it. Not but so much moment, DC motors. At the moment, all we're, the main goal is just to electrify our volvo i don't know how long it's going to be until we actually take it to the strip and we can always we can always get a another 
another track motor for the for the day that we actually take it to the strip. But the question is, which one is better for overall usage and which one is better for track times, AC motors or DC motors? Well, I have very strong opinions and they're all qualified on this, okay? I mean, I'm not good at a lot of things when it comes to life. I don't know anything about sports, but I'm pretty good on these motors. And here's the answer. There's no question whatsoever the biggest bang for your buck is a DC motor for when it comes to racing, if plain and simple. They're, they're a fraction of the cost, the DC motor and controller, as a comparable powered AC motor is. Okay? So that's the first thing right there. AC motors, though, are clearly better in almost all regards. They're way more efficient. They're easier to cool. Uh, with the required inverter, you can do anything you want to them. You get regen. Um, they're way better in all regards. Again, when you're racing, though, and you're on a budget, you can spend, let's say, $5,000 on a DC motor and controller and, and crank out 300, 400 horsepower really, really easy. Uh, to do that with an AC motor, you got to buy a used Tesla unit or you got to spend about 15, 20 grand on an AC drive. So it's, it's, all, it's all about bang for buck. But, you know, a DC motor is really an AC motor. You know that, right? Yeah. It just doesn't have the commutators or brushes. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the commutator and brushes is, is a mechanical inverter. So when you get rid of that with the AC motor, your efficiency just goes through the roof. So AC motors are clearly more, they're superior. And if you want the best of everything, you know, for daily driving and having fun at the track, an AC motor can't be beat. But if it's so expensive, you can't afford it, then the DC is a better choice. I'll, I'll say this. The, even though it only pulls 105 horsepower, which isn't going to win a lot of track times. It I might... use that horsepower to back up the zombie. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. It, it 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 might beat a few gas guzzlers, and then that's the main goal here for the moment. The but beyond that, we just want to get it driving. Uh, that's that's really the 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 push right now. And the Nissan Leaf motor that I bought for my personal vehicle, the Ford Taurus that I call Nebula, I'm probably gonna drop it in my Taurus and not my Firebird, which I call the Starfighter X. The the Nissan Leaf motor, I got it from a wrecking yard down in Sumner. Well, down in Buckley, and then they shipped it to Sumner. I got that for $426. But you don't, do you have the inverter for it? I actually have not looked at it yet. They the, the guys at the wrecking yard don't know anything about motors, so they weren't able to tell me. All they said is, it's the engine block. So I actually I actually haven't picked it up yet. So, so, you know, AC motors, what makes them more difficult for people first doing this is that the motor has to be paired to its inverter unless you're really good at software and this is where engineers can help you out. But you should have gotten the inverter that runs that motor because they come as a max set. Not saying you can't make it run, but you need to buy an inverter like a Reinhardt inverter, you know, and that can, that can be... You know, a little bit of change, you know, anywhere from the three to $7,000 for an inverter. Right. Have you heard of openinverter.org? 
I think I have heard of it. I haven't looked into it, but so you're talking about open source and building your own inverter. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. And that would be fun for you guys. It'd be a, a great learning experience. So, but, you know, j just kind of keep that in mind. That motor was paired to the Nissan inverter, and you're going to have to know what those parameters are. Uh, but right. being, being involved with the school, you should be able to hook up with even Nissan. They should be able to help guide you through that. Well, I, I bring up Open Inverter because they do have an actual forum on there on the Nissan Leaf and people who have actually hacked Nissan motors and uploaded source code on there. Oh, good. That's good to hear. It's not a real powerful motor, but it, it's, it's enough to get your car on the road. Right. And that's, 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 that's the push right now is to get it yeah. driving. And then once we get more of a budget, once we maybe win a couple of track days and get some sponsors, then maybe we'll get a better motor, you know, a faster motor, one with more horsepower, one that can push us even faster down the track. Well, you can probably hot rod the motor you have with an aggressive inverter. They really overbuild these motors, so you can make it make a lot more horsepower than it's designed for. Would dueling... <laughs> would <laughs> tell, okay, explain to me the concept of dueling. I know that Siamese is, is... We explained the concept of Siamese, which is different than dueling, but how, do you, how does it happen that just by putting two motors end-to-end you you get more out of it. I don't understand that because it's just one thing that's still spinning. Yeah, but you have twice the torque being applied and twice the horsepower. You have two of everything instead of one. It's, it's pretty simple. It's just like, you know, you can have one guy pulling a, a cart with somebody sitting it, or you can have two guys pulling it, and it's a lot easier with two than one. So it's just like, you know, you're just adding the horsepower and torque. Okay. Now it makes sense now that you explain Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's just teaming up, you know? You know, it, it, it's, you know, if one motor can make 300, two of them will make 600. If one motor will make um, 600 foot-pounds, two of them will make 1,200. As long as you, you know, mate them and get their timing correct, it, correctly, they'll work together like they don't know each other's there. AC motors are a little trickier. You got to make sure that the encoders are in exact sync with each other. Mm. So it gets a little trickier, but, you know, yeah. You uh, mentioned that originally you had nickel cadmium batteries. Yep. Out of a helicopter. Yep. What sort of batteries do you have in there now? And do you have a BMS? Yes. Uh, yes. On uh, the batteries I have now, we were very fortunate. We hooked up with, uh, it was called Dow Kokum, but they're now just Kokum. And uh, the South Koreans are some of the best battery designers, builders in the world. And we, we got military-grade Kokum cells for the zombie in 2010 that were actually made in 2007. It's now 2020, and my cells are just like they're brand new still after all the racing and all the driving I've done. It's amazing if you get high-quality lithium how long it lasts. So same cells that I've always had in it. And I have a Manzanita Micro BMS that's been protecting them their entire life. And they're so well maxed that you can turn the charger on and let it just turn off on voltage. And the, the regulators don't even light up. They're so well balanced. You guys, in the early days of the NEDRA, you held the mantle of EV 
and it was that mantle belongs to the Pacific Northwest because it wasn't just you guys. It was rich over at Micromanzanita. It was all the guys at the SEVA and the Oregon Electric Vehicles Association. What happened? Why did California suddenly come in and take home the gold? Is it just because that's where Elon liked to party or is there a, a deeper backstory behind that? Well, I guess you, you, you might ask them too, but we like to think that they saw what we were doing and, and it just started spreading like a good thing. We wanted that to happen. Uh, it did start up here in the Pacific and Northwest. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was just watching what other people were doing and we were showing people what you could do and people caught on to it and, and ran with it, you know. I, and I think it's great that it's, it's spreading. Have you ever gone into the grocery store and said, do you know who I am? Oh God, no, 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 I would never do that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. My car is well known. My car is famous, but you know, I'm just some guy in his backyard hanging out and playing around with cars and motors. What is the single greatest moment or adventure in an electric vehicle that you've ever had? Oh, wow. Single greatest moment. You, you, it's probably not going to be what you think. It was the first time I built my first electric car, Blue Mini, when I first took it out for its maiden voyage, and I got pulled over by a police officer with their gun drawn. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that's my greatest one. Because you proved that it could go so fast. No, what? No. <laughs> this is what we call the formative years. Okay, this is back in 1980. And I had an old aircraft generator and get this, three assorted non-max car batteries and jumper cables and forward starter solenoids. And I powered it up and it smoked the tires out the back, out the driveway and cracked the transmission and broke all kinds of things. And there was transmission fluid running out of the car and Instead of being upset, I was screaming with excitement because I had no idea that it could have that much power. So I fixed it all up and took it out for its mating voyage. And I, I went out at night and I ran, uh, you know, around a couple blocks in my area and the headlights were getting yellow and the, it was slowing down. And I, I barely made it home and was just kind of cruising alongside a busy road and a, a police officer pulled in behind me and turned on their lights and I didn't pull over because... I couldn't turn it off because the jumper cables had welded together and I didn't follow the, the officer's commands to stop. And I just kept going and I limped it into my driveway. When I jumped out, they pulled their weapon on me yeah. and, uh, and I was all excited and uh, I opened the hood and they said, where's the motor? And we had a nice conversation about that. But yeah, that was, I think that was the best moment for me because I knew then that I was on a path to prove that electric cars had power where everybody else was just trying to see how far they could go. Moving on from racing and the zombie for a moment, we'll probably have to do a part two to talk about the, the future, but what is the silver streak? What does the future of plasma boy look like? I'm very uh, excited about silver streak. Um, first an admission it is my longest running project that I failed to complete. It is now in its ninth year, but it is going to be running in probably the next month. And there are reasons why it's taken so long, but I won't get into that. 
Um, but Silver Streak is actually also called an EV2 because it is what GM should have done and what Honda should have done. And I've taken a Honda Insight, which was copied after the EV1. I mean, you know, fender skirts and narrow track and back. Uh, you know, they obviously copied the car, but they went the hybrid uh, route and they actually made fun of electric cars. So no, no secret why Honda's behind everybody now on electric cars. And then, of course, GM crushed the EV1. And one has to wonder, had you not done that, would there be an EV2 or an EV3? So I decided to show them how to do it. So it's a Honda Insight, a 2000 Honda Insight, but it has a genuine EV1 motor under the hood, but now it's pumped up to 200 horsepower. And it has a Tesla-sized battery pack, and it is projected to go 450 miles at 60 miles an hour. You had several sponsors. You said your first sponsor was Kilowatt Motors. Kilowatt. Many of those many of those companies have just an upped and disappeared like Ridge Rudman is still around, but Manzanita is someone else's thing. Now I have a children's book about a brontosaurus called all my friends are dead. It's about how this brontosaurus, all his friends are dead. True story. What happened to your sponsors? Are they all dead? Have they all morphed into something else? <laughs> Well, I'm happy to say most of my friends aren't dead, so that's a good thing, and I'm still here. But no, the, uh, the sponsorship <laughs> thing has shifted a lot because back in the formative days of Nedra, electric cars weren't supposed to go fast. Remember, they were laughed at. They weren't supposed to be doing what we were doing at the drag strip, so we had people eager to jump in and, and get their product out there. You know, I, I had great success with battery sponsorship from lead apps to battery companies. Uh, lithium wasn't available yet. And they would hand me the latest, greatest, small lead-acid battery that I could torture. And I, I would say, you know, I'm sorry, but we're going to do horrible things to your batteries. No, that's what we want you to do. You can show us the weak points. So we, in the early days, getting sponsorship was easy because it was novel and new. But fast forward all these decades, what, almost two and a half decades, you know, electric cars are here now. There's no need to prove that they're quick. I mean, there still is a need, but it's not like it was, you know. so. Sponsorship comes when you've got a product that everybody's hungry to see come out. And a lot of these companies are still around. You know, Kokum batteries are still here, and uh, Kilovac became Tyco, and then and, and there's a, a spinoff called Gigavac, and they're still around. But uh, I think priority ship and, and, you know, OEMs are garnering all the attention from manufacturers, not us backyard crazy guys, you know. You talked a little bit about this earlier, but are you going to be racing until your face looks like a prune or are you just about showing that electric is legit? What is next for Plasma Boy? Is, is the future look bright to you? Well, I do love racing. Um, I, again, I'm taking hiatus from it now because I'm trying to get caught up on, on projects like Silver Streak and uh, the, uh, another revamp of Blue Beanie, and I'm working on some cool Fiat projects. So my, my focus is built. I love building and designing things. And, and Silver Streak is my statement that basically with White Zombie, I've already proven that electric cars need not be dull, slow, and boring and that they can be very powerful. I think I've pretty much proven that point. And I want to prove with Silver Streak that, you know, in your backyard, you can build something that is super efficient and, and, and can actually go further on a charge than the current Tesla can. 
not that they can't do it and not that they won't do it and not that they won't exceed what I'm doing, but it's just a fun project. And again, it's fun to resurrect the image of the EV1 in a, in a car that I'm going to call the EV2. And uh, I do think I have the world's best license plate for it. What is it? ACDC. <laughs> I waited 20 years to get that license plate. I had to fight a guy with a heavy Chevy. You're listed in several places as both a member of the Oregon Electric Vehicles Association and the Seattle Electric Vehicles Association. Which one do you actually show up to? I'm so a I member can... of SIVA, uh, and they're very, very good friends of mine, and I'm also a member of the OEPA as well. Which one do you show up to more often? I don't go to the OEVA anytime. I haven't been there actually for years, and there's a reason for that. And I always go to anything with SEBA because, again, they've, they've just more feel like a, more, uh, like a home to me. Um, I don't like to say negative things, but let me just – a lot of times when I would go to the meetings here in Portland, it was a social injustice hour, nothing about electric cars. Mm. It was all about, you know uh, – what politician could do this for what EV parking spot. And, and again, that's all important, but yeah. they didn't focus on fun conversions and performance and, and SEBA still does that. It's definitely the way that, that cause I'm in the political science program here and that's, that's a big push here is, is getting policy and legislation passed. But the way that I'm trying to do it is compartmentalization so that my engineers don't feel overburdened by things that aren't fun to them and that my legislative aides law and policy writers they don't feel like they have to ever work on a car i like the fact that you mentioned that real important word fun yeah <laughs> it was no longer fun going to the meetings here in portland again i don't i'm not speaking negatively they're good people but it just, it was boring for me. You know, you go down there, all, all you saw was new electric cars parked and nobody had a conversion. Nobody was doing something in, innovative. Again, a lot of time spent on social injustices of whatever, you know, I thought, no, nah, yawn, I'll, I'll move on. You know, I like to make it fun. That, uh, the, I mean, what I would suggest to that is you you run for the board and then you create a committee of politics so uh, remember, that remember i was telling you earlier there are a lot of things i don't do well that's one of them okay so okay but yeah. we, you and i could have a great talk on politics off the air sometime though okay yeah i would i would enjoy that yeah i suspect we're probably at opposite ends of the spectrum but that's okay just leave it at that that's a teaser mm. Hmm. okay Okay, so let me qualify that. I don't go to the meetings because of the distance involved, but there is a big car show every year in Seattle that unfortunately because of our situation is canceled that mm. I, I've been taking the zombie to for years and years and years. And again, they're just good people. They're good friends. Uh, but I don't go to any of the meetings right now uh, just because I'm pretty busy in my private life doing my projects and you know family and things like that. Are you going to be at the EVS33, the Electric Vehicle Symposium at Portland? Are you going to be oh, there? You know what? They canceled it. Oh, they canceled it? Oh. Yeah, I was really excited about it, and I was hoping that I would get an invite to bring and display the zombie in my hometown, but I never heard anything from anybody. But uh, unfortunately, they've canceled it because of the COVID-19 problem. 
Hmm. Yep. And that's that was going to be in June. Yep, and it was I was very excited to have it in Portland. Huh. Yep. Okay. I well, hopefully, to, hopefully they'll, they'll they'll reschedule it. I have to double check that. Yeah. Are do you know if the Green Transportation Expo in Tacoma in August? I don't know. No, I don't know that. Okay. I do know that a lot of the events that I do go up in the Seattle area have been canceled also. Well, it was, uh, <laughs> it was great to meet you. Good um, to meet you too. Yeah, yeah. And I oh, like that. I haven't like, offended all the engineers out there. I, I'm, I'm really glad that you did because I try to keep this podcast light. I was talking to, I was talking to, <laughs> I was, I was talking to DARPA the other day, uh, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, to see what what they've got going on. And in, in they, they're of course they're not able to talk about specific projects because they're classified and stuff. But um, I, I said uh, uh, I played a little game with him, just like I I played with you, and I said, <laughs> "Who invented the internet? Did DARPA invent the internet?" He's like, uh, "Yeah, partially." And I'm like, none of the above, because, <laughs> and I explained the plot from Transformers, you know, that movie, um, and how, like, the the symbols got impacted under the glasses, and then that guy went crazy, I and then that. they found, they found Megatron, Megatron, and then they made the internet and all devices because of Megatron, and he's like, well, that could have happened. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's good yeah I, can I give you one quick little fun thing before we go yeah Thank you for listening to Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Gallen O'Connor, and I'm the club president. Our website is centralev.org. Drive on, young people. Drive on. <laughs>